Okay, welcome everybody to our podcast session this week on uh, conversations with authentic leaders, people, ordinary people who are doing extraordinary work and making a tremendous difference in the world in their own unique way, as so many of us are. It's just, I'm David Irvin, and it's a pleasure to have you join us again for another podcast. And it's, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you know that what I love to do is, is and my, what my life's work is, is it's, it's about guiding and inspiring leaders to find their authentic voice and then bringing that authentic self to all the aspects in their life. And, you know, so much of leadership today, leadership books and leadership research, talks about how do leader, uh, what do leaders do and how do they behave and what actions that they take and, and uh, talk about leadership practices. But what I'm interested in is not so much the tools. There's lots of tools. What I'm interested in is the tool user. How does one actually become a person that is influential in the world, that makes a difference? What is their story? And I love stories. And my guest today loves stories, and I have to tell you, I want to introduce you to our guest. I'm having a conversation today with a woman named Lori Jess. Now, Lori is the president of the Alberta School Boards Association, and Lori, you inspired me so much in a very brief conversation that we had after my presentation to a, a group of rural educators and r- really rural uh, school boards across our province here in Alberta. And you inspired me so much with your story, and I just got a glimpse of it. I said, I have to, I have, to have a conversation with you on our podcast. So I am just delighted. We don't know each other very well, but you just, you know, stories and presence. When someone, when you know you are in the presence of an authentic human being, it's like beauty. It's really hard to describe, but you know when it's there. And I was just so inspired by you that I, I just thought I got to have you on this podcast. So, welcome, Lori, to our podcast. Thanks, thanks for me. And what I'd like you to do, Lori, is just maybe just tell our listeners what the president of a school boards association actually does, and a little bit about how you got into this work. And um, we we provide uh, service for services for 61 Catholic public and Francophone school boards in Alberta. And most importantly, we advocate for students and their and their education. Um, it's a lot of a lot of advocacy work, speaking um, on students' behalf and school boards' behalf, and and um, lobbying the government for usually more money for our students. And what else do I do? It's a lot of meetings. Yesterday I met with the Catholic school trustees and um, communicate. The president does a lot of communicating is, is how I can best sum it up. And how, tell me your story about how you got into this, this work and what led you to be the, in this position at this point, Lori? Um, well, it goes back a little ways to when my oldest daughter um, was five, and as a mother, I, want, I, 
put her in kindergarten and I found the best kindergarten teacher in Pinoca and that teacher was in the Catholic school and I registered Emma and she quit after five days and I didn't think anything much about it because um, I was raised in the country and my four siblings and I didn't, country kids didn't go to kindergarten. And so um, that was that was that. And so then when she turned six and then it was time to put her in grade one as a parent, I found the best grade one teacher in Pinoca and that was at the public school. And I registered her in grade one and she went for the first day and she came home and she just cried till she, cried till she threw up and begged me not to send me back to the, send her back to that place and I just couldn't do it and decided I'd teach her myself. And so I homeschooled all three of my kids, not at home, but at my little local bookstore. And what a great place to, um, to teach them because they were surrounded by books, right? And um, so I homeschooled my kids until grade five when they entered public school. And then once Emma was in grade five, I continued to, to homeschool the other two here as well. And then um, I started to attend school council meetings. Actually, I wanted to be involved. You know, I taught my kids how to read and how to print and and the, how to add and subtract and and then just to hand them over and not be involved in their education. I just I wanted to be involved, so I started going to school council meetings. And then um, Emma was in a public speaking competition and. Um, it was hosted by our local trustees, and I wondered what they did. And so I went home and I Googled trusteeship and the Alberta School Boards Association. And I just thought I'd be really good at that. And so in 2004, I put my name forward in, in the um, municipal elections. And um, I did have an election. There was four of us that ran. That ran and I was successful. And so I've been a trustee since 2004 with uh, Wolf Creek Public Schools, and I represent the schools in Pinocchio is uh, War Two. And um, so I've been trustee for 14 years, and then um, never ever dreaming of putting my name in as Alberta School Boards Association president. Thought never thought never crossed my mind. Sorry, Dave, my other phone's ringing. And then um, when I went to the Spring General Meeting in Red Deer last June, so June 2018, um, on June 1st, our president, our vice president, and our executive director of ASBA had resigned, and our, our Spring General Meeting was to start on June 3rd and 4th. And I had some fellow trustees approach me and ask if I put my name in as the president, and I was like, no way. No, can't do it. Not smart enough, not skilled enough. I just, no, it wasn't doing it, wasn't doing it. And then more and more people kept approaching me and asking me to put my name in. And then I was breaking down a little bit, thinking about it. And then I asked if I could give me 24 hours. So I went home, planted a flat of petunias and talked to my two daughters and decided to do it. And I'm so enjoying it. I have learned so much. I have met so many people. I, yeah, I, I have thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a good, a good learning place for me to be and widen my horizons. I find it interesting and quite fascinating, actually, that you, 
you comment on stepping into leadership, and it's not something that this is not a position that you would have ordinarily sought, but that somehow or other, but somehow or other, you got compelled. How how did that happen? That you you went from I think you just wanted to make a difference. But you probably didn't see yourself as a leader. And I, I'd just kind of be curious. And by the way, you also are a person after my own heart because you uh, own a bookstore. And I am I'm totally committed to supporting independent bookstores. So my hat's off to you on that one. Thank you. I've been here since 1981. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yes, what finally made me decide to, to put my name in... Um, was just in my heart of hearts I knew I could do it because I had been chair of Wolf Creek for a number of years and so as part of your job as president you chair the board of directors meetings and I knew I could do a good job at chairing and um, and at the time with Alberta School Boards Association there was felt that there was just not much communication between um, the executive with the whole Alberta School Board Association and and their members, the 61 school boards. And I love to communicate. I love to talk. And so I thought, you know, I could do it. Just just communicate and tell, them, tell people what you're doing. Because sometimes I think if they don't know what you're doing, they don't think you're doing anything right. And, um, and so that's all... I've really done in this leadership role is just communicate, tell people what we're doing, whether we're what we're doing for working on advocacy or or um, working on the strategic plan for Alberta School Board Association or yeah, it's just communicating and what we're doing. And can can you can you comment on Laurie? What does leadership really mean? What does it mean to be a leader? How do you define leadership? How do you know when you're with a leader? Uh, how, what have you learned about leadership over these past several years that you've been doing this this work? Um, I think leadership to me means being open and honest and sharing a lot of information and being transparent in what you're doing. Um, that's what leadership means to me and when I think of you know superintendents that that I've worked with over the years is um, a good superintendent communicates well and keeps you in the loop because being a trustee is like a part-time job you don't you're not at the job every day when you're a trustee you aren't in the schools every day you aren't hands deep into into it like your superintendent is so it's really important that your superintendent keeps you keeps you informed of, of what's going on and what we need to know and so I think a great leader yeah a lot of it comes down to communicating and how did you learn to influence like this I, I think you're probably or a little understating the contribution that you make and you know what it's an amazing thing because all the Leaders that I have conversations with and that inspire me in my life, whether they're in this, in, on these podcasts or people that have inspired me, all of them have this quality of humility that most of them will say, well, why would you ask me to, 
for this conversation because I don't really see myself as a necessarily a leader. I'm just doing what I love to do and making a difference. Same here. And I was elected to do it, and I want to do a good job. <laughs> so... How did you get to this point? And first of all, that's a that's a quality one of the qualities of leadership that I would suggest is humility. But how did you get to this point of being able to influence the way that you influence? That's a tough question to answer. Um, I don't know. I usually just tell my story, and I've had a few hard knocks in life, um, and and they were big ones. You know, I was in a, a motor vehicle accident with my husband. I was 25. We rolled a truck once. The tire blew, uh, broke my back, severed my spinal cord, was, became a complete paraplegic. And by that, I mean I was told I would never walk again. So I've been in a wheelchair um, since I was 25. So it was 33 years, November 1st. Um, and I was very angry for a year. Um, Angry at the world, angry at my family, angry at at everybody, and because I couldn't do anything, I was so athletic before, and I couldn't brush my teeth, and I couldn't drive, and I couldn't, you couldn't, 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 and then after a year, you know, then I was driving, and I I could do quite a few things, and I just realized that. If I was going to continue to be angry like that, I was going to be an old, angry, bitter old woman, and I better get on with my life. And so I did. And that man stuck with me, and I had three children, um, all while in the wheelchair, obviously. And um, then when my children were soon to be four, nine, and 13, my husband took his life. Um, he made that choice. And I always tell people he left me with three kids and a mortgage. And so I, I had to figure it out, right? I had to figure out how I was going to raise these kids. Um, just by me working at my little bookstore in downtown Pinoca. And you know what? I figured it out. And I have great kids. And were there difficulties along the way? Were there struggles? Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, some, um, I have, you know, loving family. So I had support there. Um, and then life went on, and then, um, hi, just one sec, hi. Oh, I'm just on the other phone. So then, then when we're at the end of my story, so life went on, and then, um, then in the summer of two, 2003, I'd taken my kids to Prince Edward Island to meet, um, my deceased husband's family, he was the youngest of 10, and um, so they had all these cousins and aunts and uncles that they'd never met, so I took them out there, and that was eye-opening. It, it's funny how we live with somebody for almost 20 years, and, and then once they're gone, how much we don't know about them, and so we went out to Prince Edward Island, and um, how much I learned about my deceased husband and from his family and stories, and I learned he was valedictorian of his class, and I... I learned so much about him that I didn't know um, when I lived with a fellow. And then um, then in 2014, I, uh, I had breast cancer, and I knew I would get breast cancer because I have the BRCA1 gene, which is breast cancer 1. So it's 80% uh, chance that I have breast and or ovarian cancer in my lifetime. And so 
I was we were looking for it and screening for it, and uh, that was in 2003. We had my siblings and I had the genetic testing testing done, and um, so 2014 there it was. And uh, so I always did what I said I was going to do, and I I had surgery and removed my breasts and and didn't didn't rebuild. And because uh, I use those pectoral muscles, every move I make, every stroke of the wheelchair that I make, and um, so there was it, that was some tough times. But I had my kids were very supportive um, with me, and then I did some chemo treatments, and um, I don't know. You just got to dig deep and keep going. Like you just kind of get thrown some curveballs in life, but there's nothing. There's nothing that a person can't overcome, really. Say, oh, you're so strong, you're so strong, but it was, it's just called my life, right? Well, Lori, gosh, I could jump in at any one of those stories. I just want to express my gratitude for your vulnerability and your honesty about all those experiences, because you had a, you had a very... Uh, athletic background that you you had were very high level competition in sports and so i'm just very curious as to how any one of those three significant defining moments i often talk in my leadership development programs when we take leaders out to banff and i and i spend four days and we go back and we one of the things that we do is that we track back your life about the defining moments that made you who you are and that and that and i'm just very curious as to how these experiences and you can jump in with any one of them how did they help shape you and make you into the person that you are today how did those experiences and you've you've kind of alluded to it but i'd love you to say more about how those experiences um, influenced you and shaped you because you you rallied through them in a way that what I would my mother would say you you turn a your pain into a pearl just like a, an oyster that gets irritated by a grain of sand and you you somehow or other are able to transform those experiences. What, what well, first of all how did they impact you as a person and then how did you turn them from a potentially destructive experience into a gift, and I and I don't want to, um, I don't want to sugarcoat this because they were they were damn hard. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Um, well, breaking my back just made me just determined. I was very athletic, and and I felt like I went from a young, strong, athletic girl to an old person in a wheelchair, but I was still only 25. And it just made me, made me very determined that, well, part of me was I was going to walk. I was going to get that chair and walk, and so I worked hard. And so the upper body strength I had was just increasing and growing every day. And the mental was, to walk, right? Right? I was going to do it. Nobody was going to stop me. They weren't going to tell me I couldn't walk, even though my spinal cord was severed, and I was told that. There was no way I could physically walk, but I think I needed to believe that at the time in order to get me through. And it did. And then I was very physically fit in the chair, and then I just got into other interests. I got into gardening big time. 
and um, put my passion in, into other things. And it made me stronger. And so physically in the chair, it was, it was, it was okay to be in a wheelchair. My life was going to go on. It was going to be good. And then when I lost my husband, um, that made my faith stronger because I couldn't understand why. I must have read 30 books looking for the reason that Aubrey Kern put a bullet in his head. And there, there was no answer, no... I just couldn't understand how somebody could leave kids and a wife that he loved. And I was blindsided by it. And so it just... I had to give it away to God to, to just help me raise my kids and pray for Aubrey that he was in peace and it just made my faith stronger there. And the breast cancer, I knew it was coming, so I was kind of prepared. And we were going to catch it early, so I was going to beat it, right? And we did. MRI caught a shadow, and and it was caught early. And, and chemo wasn't fun, and I was pretty sick. But I have, like I said, strong family, and my kids are wonderful, and and they were there for me. And uh, that helps, people help you get through a lot of things in life, right? And even in this role as, as president, it's the members that um, support me and, and give me strength and encouragement. And, and um, yeah, people are pretty incredible. So when I hear values like determination and perseverance and faith, um, I, I have to go back to our, our original, original conversation. And I think what inspired me is I think you would understand that probably the most, not probably, but the most important leadership role you've ever had is influencing your kids. And the, the work in, in your work in public education is about influencing young people. And I, I have to believe that, that these experiences and not the experiences. I, I always say that experiences and circumstances don't determine a person, they reveal a person. And I have to believe that you, the revelation of the character that you are had tremendous influence, particularly on your kids. And I'm wondering whether you can articulate that influence by your responding to those circumstances in a real honest way. How did they influence your kids? Can you articulate that? Um, well, I hope I have influenced my kids because I have three, three wonderful, responsible adults um, that I'm very close close to. Uh, my oldest daughter is um, my kindergarten dropout. Is uh, soon to be a medical doctor. Well, she is a medical doctor. She just writes her final licensing exam coming up on April 25th and 26th, and she has a job here at the local clinic in Pinoka. And um, her being the oldest, sometimes I refer to her as my husband because sometimes in order for things to work in my head, it has to come out of my mouth first. And so if something's bothering me or I need to talk about something, I go home and Emma still lives with me. And uh, she's my sounding board and gives me great advice sometimes. You know, sometimes she'll ask if, <laughs> if, do you want my opinion or do you want a logical answer there? <laughs> <laughs> but it's... It, so that's great. And then uh, my other daughter and I, we have a, a couple, we've got a little herd that we've started together. We've got two bred heifers and, and uh, six calves. 
we intend we're doing the alphabet they're they're pets and they all have names and uh so that that's our connection there but um nola um has i think learned from me nola's my laborer my, my worker my physical worker if i need something done that i can't do because i'm in a wheelchair that i physically can't do nola's my go-to she um I'll ask once and she does it and there's no fight, no no rolling eyes. It's like, there you go, Mom. Thanks, Nola. You're welcome, Mom. Kind of end of conversation. So my kids have great work ethics. And then I have a, my youngest son is uh, in Edmonton and he uh, he's working as a security guard at the Alberta Hospital Edmonton. And um, he's not into the farm. He's into this the city and he has a wonderful girlfriend and is in a good place and um, they're good problem solvers let me let me take a guess that there was no pity on your part toward them that they were raised by a mother in a wheelchair you probably didn't feel sorry for them about that share of challenges in life mm-hmm. uh, to lose a father in the way that uh, they did uh, as as you know Laurie a big part of my work is is influencing people who influence young people and that we've got to get this message across to not necessarily uh, have the goal of making young people happy but rather how to face life courageously and I'm just wondering how you have helped them deal with some of the challenges that they've had in their life in a way that has proven to be a, a positive influence in who they are today? Uh-huh. I mean, it was really, when Aubrey took his own life, it was really difficult because I was blindsided. I didn't see it coming. Um, and so my kids were very young, like I said, soon to be four, nine, and 13. And they too it affected them all in in different ways um emma was very my oldest was very very angry um nola my middle one kind of didn't um like she didn't cry for it was a year nola didn't cry she just kind of internalized it and jake was too young he doesn't remember it but at the time, I just, I needed to get through it in order for me to get through it 
I needed to talk about it. So we just, I never shut them down when they wanted to talk about Aubrey. Um, and you know, people, they don't know sometimes what to say or how to react when they see you when you know that somebody close to you has taken their own life. That's completed as a suicide. And um, I remember Emmer was ang- the angriest. People would say to me, oh, maybe he had cancer and didn't want to tell you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, he, he chose to take his own life. He chose to end his life. He chose to leave his kids. He chose, it was a choice that he made. And people, it was funny how they were making excuses for him. People who didn't even know him. And it made Emma very angry that I would just blurt out that S word, suicide. And so I just had to tell her, you know, Emma, I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to make stories up about how your dad died. For me to get through it, I'm hurting too, and I'm grieving as well as you are, and I'm very sad. I just need to go straight through it and talk about it and say, yes, it was suicide, and yes, he took his own life. Like, there was no hiding it or lying about it or none of that we just we just had to talk about it so we we still talk about Aubrey and and uh, you know the kids still wonder how their life would be if they had a dad and and there's still sometimes you know on occasions it was just um, St. Patrick's Day and of course um, my kids are half Irish from their father he was an Irishman mm. and um and you talk about it and you just talking about it and still celebrating things. I had Aubrey was cremated and he's buried right in front of our house. And there's a little rock there and that was great for my kids. So on on birthdays and Christmas and occasions or when they got off the school bus or whatever, um, Aubrey was is buried right out in the front flower bed under a red bleeding heart. Hmm. So um, I think that has helped the kids that he was close well what I like what I'm inspired by is your honesty and your realness about this and you know as you know my work is about authenticity and you don't dodge the truth no you, never you, you know how to say it straight and I think there's something very refreshing about honesty you don't degrade, you know, you don't, honesty is not about diminishing yourself and it's not putting yourself above people and it's not pretending that something isn't what it is. And there's something for me that's inspiring about the realness that comes out from you. And I just have uh, so appreciated your stories. Now, is there anything else that you would like to share about your philosophy of leadership or are there any stories that I haven't asked you to tell that would perhaps offer to our listeners um, some some guideposts or some defining experiences or lessons in developing this quality of authentic leadership. Ah, gee, Dave. I don't know. I just, I just, I am what I am, and I am who you see, and I just do what I feel is right, and um, and following following policy as you do what's right, right? 
And I just, I don't know, I just enjoy this position I hold right now. I'm just honored and privileged to to be a trustee in Little Pinoca and to be the president of ASBA and work with wonderful people and um, and do good work, do good work for for those over 700,000 students in Alberta, right? <laughs> well, I never want to miss an opportunity to thank a person who's influencing our students and our young people in our next generation. So thank you for the work you do. Thank you for your honesty today and your presence. And you know it's it's just a it's just such an example to me of ordinary people making an extraordinary difference. And you do it humbly and you do it you do it with such care and with such love and uh, such humanness. And you, you and you and you must tell what's that? <laughs> Thank you for those kind words. Absolutely. Now you have to tell our listeners the name of your bookstore. And next time we're past Pinoca, we have to come and visit you. It took me years to come up with this name. Years. It's called Pinoca Bookstore and Gifts. <laughs> and that was the name when I bought it in 1981. Just because if you put Pinocchio, if you put the name in front of things, you don't have to do a title search for. I think it was 250 dollars at the time, so I left it. It's just it was Pinocchio Bookstore forever and ever. And then I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I diversified into giftware as well because people aren't reading actual paper books as much with the technology, right? Oh, but I love I love real books. I still have I my do library. Do. <laughs> the love of my life is my job here. Uh, right? That, this now, what is it about, what drew you to books? You, I mean, it's probably self-evident, but what do you love about books? Just the stories. Just I yeah. love to be taken somewhere else, and there's nothing like going to bed with a good book. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, to raise your kids in the store, and I read to my kids, so they were 10 years old, orally, every night, mm. all, sometimes all day, because they're raised in a bookstore, right? And it was just a good story. Who doesn't love a good story? <laughs> I can't imagine a better place to be raised than in a bookstore. That sounds, that would just be cool for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, thank you for your stories today. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And, and I'm uh, sure our paths will cross again. Oh, no doubt. And you just keep up your good work and uh, your presence. And thank you for touching us all today, Lori, my friend. Thanks.